Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Hello and welcome to... Uh, I've always wanted to do a two-episode finale. What? A double bill? So we're going to do a two-episode finale to the Youthscape podcast with me, Martin Saunders, with me, as always, Rachel Gardner. Hello. This is like, I don't know if you do this with uh, shows that are on Netflix or mm -hmm. the week-by-week -week things that come out on Disney+. Plus. Yes. Do you save them up so that you don't get left with a cliffhanger? I, like The Mandalorian, I'm, I am the mm. biggest fan of The Mandalorian uh, on Disney+. Plus. You, it's probably not a it's show gone, that you... It's gone over my head. Oh, oh Jason. Man. I mean, Jason and, and the young people, and they love it. I love like, it. Wah. Well, today's extra host will hopefully back me up on this. <gasps> Fantastic. Uh, the Mandalorian is the greatest TV show ever, but Ted Lasso, that's the other one. But you don't want to like be five episodes in and then you have to wait a whole week for episode six oh. with a big cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. So all of which is to say, this is a two-part finale and we we will totally understand if you save this up. If you stop now, wait until next week because you want to consume the whole finale together. We're going to have to think of a cliffhanger for this episode now. Do you know that? I think, I think yes, that's very exciting. I mean, I'm excited. I would like to save all this up to do... Are we going to record these back to back? Yes, we are. So we haven't got to do a week in between. I'm very excited about this. So tell me, Martin, in your wisdom... Why are we doing a double bill, whatever it's called, because back to back? Despite doing a twenty-week run a for this season, how many weeks? Twenty uh, weeks. Who do that's we think right, we twenty, are? not nineteen. Uh, despite <laughs> the advice of our producer, um, episode run mm -hmm. on uh, on our subject of tough questions for youth ministry, we, we ended up with about thirty-two questions. Yeah, so we didn't. Yeah, and we so hadn't got back we to. thought we can't actually no, we get can't. through the whole list. So what mm. we're going to do in these two episodes is we're going to... Uh, this Clear is the like, decks. This is like a, a highlights show, but you've never heard any of it before because it's all new. Yeah. And it's a two-part season finale. Thing is, with you and me, it is not all new. It is always repeats. No, this is, this is all new. Nudity that we've already shared. No, I think that's a great thing because we did look over the list and we went, oh, that's a goodie. Oh, that's a doozy. Yes. Oh, we need to talk about that one. And then we thought, actually, probably, rather than boring everybody with like a 45-part season, yes. let's tackle as many as we can. So, uh, lovely, gentle listener, as Martin often refers to you as, I like to refer to you as sassy, courageous, adventure listener but um we're gonna tackle them and they, it might be quite frustrating because we're not gonna go in depth are we we're just gonna literally name it name some thoughts move on yes or that's at least we're once we've edited it that's how it'll sound because <laughs> you and i don't do anything short so and doing the editing will be a man who has remained silent through the whole run, in fact, since he took on mm. producing the Youthscape podcast last year, sometime last year, early last year, maybe. But in a moment, he's, you can see he's just licking his lips, getting he's ready. He's break cover. Getting ready yeah. to uh, break cover at last. So joining us uh, for this special two-part finale is our producer, Dave Walford. Dave Walford, oh, speak! so nice to be here. Thanks, guys. Oh, he's got such a nice I mean, I'm voice. Here, but it's also so nice to be heard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> to be allowed to be allowed to speak. Hopefully you won't just gloss over like you normally do when we're talking. Well, we'll see. Um, so that was a negative start. <laughs> Sorry, because he can cut it this out. This is great. <laughs> he just cuts all this out. 
<laughs> Dave, Dave has a special thing. I think we've mentioned this before, yeah, we but have. when we prattle on too much, yes, he just a prattleometer. He does a off. little. He does a little sign with his hands, like a pair of scissors. To let us know. Yeah, I do scissors, but then you guys mistake it for me swearing at you sometimes. <laughs> which doesn't always go down well. So <laughs> and we carry on. So now you're here before we get into any of these, because because we're doing the season finale, I thought I would have another go at the story <laughs> oh, that no. I tried because we talk about this now apocryphally in the office. There was an episode earlier in the season. It was the end of a long day yes. and I tried to, I wouldn't say it was a story so much, I tried to talk about philosophically, Your existentially, um, my relationship with hotel rooms. And socks. That's yeah. where I lost it. And <laughs> do you know what? I've listened back to the 19 versions that we tried and failed to record. And you want to go again? I want to go oh, one more time. go again? Okay. Oh. Oh my goodness. Oh and I, my because goodness. I, because I've been thinking about this as I was in a hotel room again the other day. Where are you? Uh, well, it wasn't really a hotel room. It was, it was on retreat. Oh, was it? You know, we, we as Youthscape, we go away on a staff retreat. Mm -hmm. And so it was like one of those, it was not, it's not a monastery, is it? It's like a retreat house. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a zooped up monastery. And yeah. the names of the bedrooms are like monastic heroes, oh, yes. aren't they? That's right. So you're saying Bede's bedroom or. Yes. Yeah, whatever. Or, that's just revealed our tradition. Um. <laughs> but uh, let's just tell people there's no TVs. That's the, that's yeah. the important the, the thing to get out. Wi-Fi. There's no TVs. The Wi-Fi is off. So don't think we're staying in the Hilton. We are pledging ourselves to Jesus. So here's, here's what I wanted to talk about. I When I'm in a hotel room, I behave in a weird way. I want you guys to unpack this with me, okay? Because <laughs> I, I feel to. like there'll be people listening You're to this. Consenting. And they'll be like, oh, yes, someone's finally said it. You go into a hotel and you just, because you're not in your, new, your own home, you don't quite know where to put yourself or how to behave. There's a chair in the corner, right? Mm. And you're like, do I, do, am I even going to use that chair? There's a desk. I don't have a desk at home. Do I use the desk? I don't know. There's you're saying this, but these thoughts are the only thoughts that happen when someone hasn't used a hotel ever in their life. No. <laughs> After the first time they've used a hotel, people understand like, what to do in a hotel. But you always know what to do. But I'm saying, you, okay, so you, let's give you a couple of scenarios because they're really only two scenarios I can think of with a hotel. Okay. You arrive in the hotel room mm -hmm. and you're kind of looking around, you're thinking, I don't really know where to put myself. Mm -hmm. There's a massive double bed in the middle of the room, but it's too early to go to bed. What do you do? Have a bath. You have a bath. Well, I mean, that is an option. I'm not no, saying I that's you what could. I do. How early are you arriving at the... Well, let's say I've got there. This isn't me. This is a, a person who, who has normal social boundaries. So <laughs> so this is someone who just thinks, you know what? I'll, I'll go to the hotel room, see what it's like. It's eight o'clock in the evening. It's too early for bed. You might put the TV on and sit on your bed and watch TV. But also you, you're looking at that chair. You're thinking, that looks quite comfortable. Should I sit in that? <laughs> you're eyeing up the chair. You were just thinking about it. That is a good point, actually, because then you sit in the chair and then you think, why am I sat in the chair? Yes. Because who am I looking at now? Yeah. I'll sit on the no, I, that's a good point. I never sit on the chair. Yeah, see? Always sit on the bed. You see, we found some and connection. Actually, right. as a mummy of little kids, I, if I go to hotel room at eight, I'm going to bed. You just go to bed. I'm going to bed. Scenario two, you wake up in the hotel room, okay, and you you need to sort of, you know you need to have a shower, you know you basically need to make yourself decent for breakfast. Have a cup of tea. But you you just, there's all these options, but they're all not like at home. So I don't normally watch breakfast TV at home. There's a massive TV in front of me, right? That chair again is still calling my name. <laughs> there's the tea and coffee making facilities. Yes. There's the shower. You're then into this corridor of uncertainty about what order you do things in. 
right? So do I, I you know, do I, do I disrobe at this point? I often, I tell you, I did this just the other day, just a little mental picture for you, completely disrobed for the shower, then thought, oh, hang on, I haven't made my coffee. My coffee is going to be too hot those kettles, which are ridiculous, yes, by the way. Yes, they're tiny you and You try hot. and fit them in the sink. You pour the water out mm-hmm. again every time you fill them up, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you then think, oh, my coffee will be too hot when I come out of the shower. So I now need to make it now, right, before <laughs> I get in the shower, right? So I'm walking around this room completely That's naked. very stressful. I don't do that at home. That's weird. Really weird if I sit in the chair now. <laughs> you think, who else is that in the chair right, naked? Look, is it, is it just me or mm. is it just hotels are weird I and think, they make us behave in weird ways? Well, I think this story is is now making us all act in weird ways in hotels. Yeah. I think you've ruined hotel rooms for all of us. So thanks for that. But I do, no, I do agree with you oh, because they're laid out like social spaces. Yes. But generally you're on your no, own. I, was, I, was at, I swear I was on my own. So there... <laughs> Absolutely on my own. But there we go. No, so okay. So if we're going down this avenue, yes, of weirdness, we are. So can I ask you a question? So do you? So I do sometimes think, oh, I'll have a bath. Oh, there's a TV. Can I watch the TV from the bath? Yes. Uh, no, I can't. So laptop open on the loo. Oh no! To what? watch something. Oh, on the loo. I see. Sorry, I do thought you were do... watching the laptop on the loo. No, like, do you do that? And then do you think, oh, I'll have, I'll get a nice drink out yes. of the mini bar or yeah. make a cup of tea? Yeah, but you see, because you want to utilize all of the options. So I am now with you down this rabbit right, hole. David, do you understand that Ridiculous. our point, our, not my point, is our that we are middle-aged. Is, no. <laughs> our point is that you behave in idiosyncratic and strange ways in hotels because they're strange and unfamiliar environments that make you feel uncomfortable and like you should and, but do. But comfortable at the same time. But comfortable at the same time. So you mm. behave oddly, right? I, I'm, I'm not Maybe I just do hotels slightly differently to you guys. I don't think that's... What do you do? You literally walk in, lie Dump down. Well, most of the time, so I don't, I'm not arriving like, super early at a hotel because I'm, I'm either at a place where I'm doing something for the day and therefore yeah. that's why I've got a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and so I'm out quite late anyway. You're saying we work you too hard, David. Is this passive aggressive? <laughs> no, I'm not suggesting a holiday. I'm not going on holiday. Oh, right, okay, you're on holiday. I'll, I'll check in early and then go and do some stuff. Yeah, like, he's cool. Yes. And Gen then Z. in the morning, I don't have a natural like alarm clock in my body that I wake up super early. And so right. I have to wake up in time for breakfast. I've set an alarm to wake up in time for breakfast. Right. So I'm not having like loads of free time in the hotel he's not wondering asking. what to do. Yeah, he must have hours on hair care as well, which doesn't really work on, on radio, does it? He's but, not looking back at his life. But thinking. Dave has curly hair. That's the punchline. Uh, and it's now the time where we tell Dave that actually we recorded an episode of the podcast in a hotel. <laughs> we did. We? With other people. <laughs> With, with the producer. Others present. This now we is were... making me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> were we both sat on the bed? Where were we sat? I think we were. I think, I think, I we think were. this bit's getting cut. I think the producer was sat on the chair. So Martin, do you feel this story landed in the way that you oh, hoped it would? I feel so good. Do so, you? Strangely listener, this landed way better than last time. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, I heard something very clever recently, which said illustrations are supposed to be stories where you can predict the outcome. Whereas a true story, you're supposed to rob the listener of what they think it's good. You've got to portray the listener somehow. Yeah. So I feel in that story, you did betray all of us, really. And you've ruined hotel rooms for us. So I feel that was successful. Well, I feel really pleased about that. Really pleased. (laughs) It's a great way into our next I feel at last. (laughs) I feel like I've been heard and seen. 
And yeah. uh, I don't think you're accepted, though. No, not accepted. Vindicated. Yeah, I feel vindicated. That's right. You. This finally, we can lay to rest the whole terrible hotel story that wasn't a story. Mm. Well, with that, shall we proceed into? Yes. Remember, there's a cliffhanger ending coming from somewhere. Part one of our two-part finale. So we. This. This is why we brought you in, on board, David. So we've brought you on actually as the host of this so you're gonna you're gonna assume the michael parkinson or a more recent up-to-date interviewer who wasn't from the 70s (laughs) role okay who is there um graham norton you'd be graham norton (laughs) sure i'll take on that response all right and uh, and and you're gonna raise some of the questions and then we're gonna answer them and you're gonna chip in as well yeah i guess either we thought for some of these questions either they're quite complex and finding guests to, to try and articulate some of this yeah. stuff would be really vulnerable. And so we wanted to try and name some of this in the room or we thought maybe, yeah, I guess intrigued to know what you guys think as well. So first question up is, what do you do when a young person really messes up? Mm. So not a case of just they've done something wrong and you catch them, but maybe it could be a young person you've elevated to a position or wow. um, you set them up to do something publicly and then something goes really wrong, either in the event or uh, maybe a character flaw kind of crops up. Um, what would, what do you do when a young person that you're working with really messes up? Mm. I think we have to begin by recognising that we all have an inherent temptation at this moment to cut and run mm. and to throw the young person under the bus. Like I'm, I'm we shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I just want to recognize in myself, there's immediate self-defense that goes on. You think, how can I distance myself from this disaster that I may have inflicted upon the church service, you know, or, or whatever. Um, I, I've, I've, I can't really give examples, no. but I've definitely had examples yeah, of this too. happening. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it's often around over and over empowerment. Like when you've conflated youth, and youthful enthusiasm with gifting and young leadership. Um, everyone looks like a Timothy when you're uh, excited about young leaders, right? So, so there is a temptation. There is a temptation to um, to sort of try and separate off. But I would think that the whatever other damage has been wrought in this moment, the person who is most in need of your help and support is the young person, right? Mm-hmm. But that's just a preamble. Rachel's going to give you the actual answer. Oh, no, I totally, I totally agree. And I think even as you're asking the question, my heart was like, oh, my days, that I have to take responsibility for that because I've been the one that's brought them into that space. And so I think whatever it looks like, whether it is actually physically getting up on the stage with them or in front of the group with them or just by your body language demonstrating mm. that you're not detracting yourself from them. And, and there are times where I have swooped in in the midst of something that's going horrendously wrong and just taken over and thought this is I have to take over there are times I've got that wrong and I shouldn't have done that there are other times I think where I've had to go to the leadership and say I think we are raising this young person up in leadership probably that was a bad call to get him to do that then but actually it's on me not on them and I find that's the that's the hardest bit isn't it it's almost in the moment you instinctively know what to do it's what to do afterwards particularly if the young person themselves isn't aware actually of how it went down that's quite tricky if they think oh no I think that was all right actually (laughs) and they're like ah I don't think this, anything else I'm going to ask you to that again. So I think in the moment, I find it quite easy to respond. It's thinking afterwards, how do we help this young person grow and learn this and not take on more responsibility for it than is theirs to take on? It's obviously a very broad 
category yes, and yes. question. It could mean lots of things. Yes. We've sort of taken it down a route of what you've empowered a young person youth, yeah. in a sort of youth church context and they've not, it's not gone well what they've done. Um, I think just to, and we might go a bit broader than this, but, but I think um, one of the things I've noticed when this happens is how intense cultures we cre we create around church and even youth church, you know, so I'm not sure there is permission to fail in church. I've seen a young person get up and do uh, a tag team preach or a, or a, a prayer time or something like that in church. And it's gone amazingly well. I have seen it happen in my, remember many years and many contexts of youth ministry. So it could be anywhere where they've got up and they've done something and it's really not gone down well in the room at all. But one of the things I think about that is, gosh, why does it have to feel so incredibly intense? Like God is sitting there really angry that a young person has done some a bit rubbish prayers. You know, why, is it, why, why are we all so intense about it? Why are we all so worked up about it? Can we cultivate atmospheres where you, you have permission to fail, where actually something like that, a young person thinks, oh, it's funny, isn't it? I sort of tried to do it and it didn't really work out. But it feels like it's also yes. uptight and intense and I cannot possibly get it wrong because otherwise I'm going to be knocked off the leadership track. Yeah. What I find quite interesting as well is the times where you, when you're discipling young people, I can think of something more recent and something in the past where a young person is both peak loving Jesus, rocking up at everything that the church is putting on at school or at college or at home, peak, not not playing by any of the rules. Yeah. Running away from home, yes. kicking off. So it's like the parallel tracks are just there. Yeah. And, and so you, you want to sort of champion the fact that God's doing amazing stuff in their life and they're growing incredibly while also trying to sort of help them with this other track in their life where all the adult, other adults in their life are saying, this young person's off the rails. They're yeah. a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to stop them coming to stuff at church to punish them. You're like, well, actually, wait a minute. So I think those are the situations where it's not necessarily a one-off event, but it's a period of time mm. where a young person is holding both mm. <laughs> intention, smoking weed, doing amazing preaching. I, I, I mean, that's a bit of a crass example, but that yeah. kind of sense of both these things are happening at the same time and those longevity bits, I think it's a challenging, but it's about walking young people, isn't it? I guess I want to press you, Rachel, on something you said a little bit earlier about you kind of learned from experience when to swoop in and yes. when not to. Yeah. Is there anything that you think would be helpful to the listeners out there as to when to do it? Obviously, there's an element in which if young people, like we say, you want to create environments where young people are able to fail and able to get mm. things wrong and learn from their own mistakes and do that without us like protecting them and wrapping them in bubble wrap, like part of learning comes from failing, right? Mm. And so how, other than oh, through our own sheer like cringing when young people do get things wrong, yeah. Um, how do you know when to step in? So and, the and time that came into my mind exactly when I said that, Dave, was a young person who, um, overshares quite a lot and it can be very powerful actually they can share with real integrity and authenticity what God's doing in their life but because of their vulnerability as well they can overshare in a way that for the other young people who struggle to, to receive vulnerability as anything other than just weakness then they that when the room turns and mm. there've been a couple of times where I felt this person now, it's not safe for them to keep doing this. Mm. Um, but because I've asked them to do something like this, they're going to, they want to honor this and keep going. So I have once swooped in and 
everyone will have known what I've done, but I thought, actually, I have to stop this because all the young people in this particular group are perceiving this as weakness and they're going to go for you. They're going to go hard um, because they don't tolerate weakness, this particular group. So that would be an example of that. So it's not that I've shut up a young person because they're saying something I don't agree with. It's more, they're not safe now. I need to step in. Can I just broaden this out a little bit? Because actually, if you go back to the original question, you know, what do you do if a young person messes up? Um, it, it, there are lots of ways in which yeah, young people yeah, can make mistakes and really mess up. They can correct, um, uh, do something criminal. Yeah, uh-huh. They could uh, do something that's on the road to being criminal or really hurt some other person. And I think we probably are not very good across the church in all segments, in leadership, in the rank and file, at, um, at helping people understand the redemption narrative, mm-hmm. ironically, um, when it comes to like personal personal failure, personal messing up. Like we're just mm-hmm. not, we're not very good at that. We're not very good at that with our big leaders. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're very good at it with our, even with young people. And I think we've got, to, we've got to be talking about the fact that we can mess up and then there's a way back and there's redemption. And that has to, and yes, it does depend on the severity of the circumstance and other people who might get involved and hurt. But we've always, our attitude has got to be, how can mm-hmm. we, how can we help this young person to recover from what they've done um, and what might have impacted others? Now, as I say, there are lots of circumstances there because it's very broad where that's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. But our attitude, our heart has got to be, how do we help them recover? Mm. And I, I think the re- you're absolutely right on the redemption narrative. And I was just thinking in my own practice, sometimes I've not been strong on the redemption because I've not been strong on the justice. Mm. So I've got a youth worker working with us now as our curate and he called the police on two of our core young people mm. a few weeks ago mm. because we've been saying to them, guys, you cannot sit outside that house making that noise at two in the morning. And if and if we get a phone call for them again that you're doing that, we're going to call the police. They're like, no, nah, no. Nah. And we called the police. And I, as we were calling the police, I was saying, oh, we can't call surrenders I spent the last year and a half building relationships with these young people they themselves so vulnerable but it was so right to do and there's been strong redemption we love you you're still part of this group if you're going to do that stuff we have to respond and I think that's taught me again robust redemption often is has to has to come after robust justice there has to be a sense of also helping young people understand that that messing up isn't always someone else's at fault. That's why I did it. Yeah. Can it take take responsibility? And and redemption is a beautiful gift in that. Amazing. Just for the sake of time, I'm gonna move on to the next question. So that's one. We've done one. <laughs> one so far. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be a four-parter. Um, <laughs> this is a maybe potentially slightly lighter question, but also I think I don't know, maybe a bit vulnerable. What do you do when you really don't like a young person? When they for whatever reason, press the buttons that only irritate you. Obviously, we have a heart for loving young people, but some we find more difficult to love than others. Mm. Yes. How do we handle when one of those young people that we find really difficult to love is in our group every week? And they generally make a beeline for you as well. Yeah, of course. And they love you. Absolutely. It's also- that, that's that's tougher when they're really yeah. in favour of you. But yeah. it also can be the case where they're actually, they don't really like you as they well. They don't like you either, it's mutual. Well, well, the starting point is obviously see if there are other activities locally that run on the same night that you can get them interested in. 
that's that's there's a there's a lad who we get on really well now but i mean i've been the youth worker at my church for five years when we started he had a horrible habit because he's a bit of a know-it-all and he's really he watches lots of youtube so whenever i would like show a funny youtube clip he would shout out halfway through oh the dog runs on the pitch or something oh, like that no. uh, and and give away the punchline to my and it honestly i i did not behave well in those moments I think I may Imagine. have. Uh, the other kids may have looked at me and gone, "Oh, he's he's quite cross about that." So I'm not I'm not sure I dealt with it very well, but um, but I think often these guys they become like your the, the absolute core young mm, people as you're talking yeah. about, and it's I mean you I'm sure Rachel will go into much greater depth than I will, but I would just say very often young people are just testing the boundaries and mm -hmm. seeing whether you really love them or not. Yes. And so they're like, I'm just going to push and annoy him because surely he's going to push me away. Mm. And when they find actually that you don't have a breaking point, I'm not sure they did in my case, but when they find you don't have a breaking point, then, then actually they, they realize they're loved and the behavior does often subside. Yes. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think often the young person who is pushing the buttons just develop in your mind and with your team or with somebody else, some coping strategies, walk away, all the rest of it, because you don't want, it's, it, our brains are neutral when it comes to morality, aren't they? That, that many young people, they just want to get a rise out of you because it actually yeah. feels the dopamine feels good. Yeah. Like it isn't because they're actually malicious young people that want to hurt you. They just are dealing with lots of big conflicting thoughts and feelings and what they're used to is chaos and carnage. Yeah. If they come into your space where there isn't that, they've got to try and bring it and create it. So I think we can spot that what I find very hard is when there's a group of young people oh, yeah. and there's one or two who are the little leaders yes. and, and often it tends to be not so much in drop-in youth projects where they choose to come it's that class that you have to go and do the session with or that particular year group for an assembly you just know the back left group yeah, yeah. they just give you this you know, stop talking I hate you vibes I find that hard because yeah. you haven't got the time to build the relational capital um, but I find that part of me as I get older I just want to go I want to go and love them i'm like i'm gonna make yeah. a beeline for them yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm gonna win them but it is and you challenging do win them. and, and yeah. the thing is with the groups as well i've yeah. found is you bide your time there's always like a week where only two of them turn up or only yes. one of them turns up and they yes. look they look uh-oh uh-oh i'm exposed and that's yeah. when you can get in alongside them and actually build a relationship um if you pick them off one by one that sounds a bit more aggressive than i intended it to you but if you <laughs> if you take them one by one often you can build those relationships and that behavior does subside a bit power of prayer if there is a young person you're like i just i maybe they don't smell great and you're like i know i should be loving them because they're from a really deprived pocket but it's very tough working with young people yeah. who have really bad body odor and yeah, never course. wash their hair like these things let's not be let's not pretend these things don't affect us but let's bring it to prayer as well I, absolutely Jesus can change our hearts and then let's get some really good structure around how do we then help this young person and, and if you're not the best person to work with them and there are other safe adults that could then that's okay to say maybe I'm not the person that's not a failure yeah. but this young person needs to be supported they can't they can't receive less than others because you're struggling with them I think it's a really good point as well that the, the sharing that frustration with another leader in an appropriate way is really helpful so the worst version of yes. that, is, that is, is to say oh i can't stand yeah. rachel she yeah. smells you Ooh. know so annoying that's the worst version of that but there is a version of that which is more like accountability yeah she's saying look 
please help me. I'm finding this relationship really tough. Can you look out for me in these moments? Can you pray for me? You know, yeah. And also, I just want to be a counsel to you. I'm, I'm trying, but I'm yeah. finding this really tough. And even the process of speaking that out does, does help, I think, is liberating. For the next question, the relationship between youth worker and young person can be compared to being like a friend, not a friend, because that would be potentially unsafe, but like a friend. How do you balance that relationship with being a leader and being professional and having those different power dynamics in the relationship? Ooh, that's a good one, oh isn't it? I, for me, I don't know if this is the same with you, Martin. I do think that my age yeah, changes this. That's exactly where I was going to go. So where I'm more at risk of having an, a... Um, a misunderstanding would be that I want to mother mm. because I have an 11 year old at home that I mother. Mm. So I'm more at risk of actually paternalizing or, ma or maternalizing young people um, than I would be of getting alongside and being too chummy. And so I think age is part of that. Um, when I was younger, probably I did struggle more and I, I struggled to probably call some things out or, or say, no, actually that's unacceptable or, but now I, I, I don't feel that. Mm. <laughs> I don't have any illusions do, that, that they want to be my friend. younger members of your, like the volunteer team you're with or like interns? Are there any people who are close to the age yes. of the young people that you work yes. with? What advice would you give to them in terms of that balance between youth leader yeah that's friend. a great question i so i like rachel i no longer have this problem because they um they see me as and i quote their fun fat dad um so uh, every, all the every, all the men in rygate are like ridiculously buff so like by comparison that's what one of them called me I like my fun fat dad um but um so i don't i don't have that problem i don't i you know, they don't relate to me like a friend anymore. But I, when I think back to when I started doing youth ministry, if I'm really, really honest, oh my goodness, the thing I wanted more than anything else, more than them knowing Jesus, far more than that, is them to like me and think I was quite cool. <laughs> and I'm sure that was never the case for you, Rachel, because obviously you were, <laughs> no, I'm you were sure always, you were born, ego. Mm. Um, you know, you were born a leader, but I, uh, it, it came, came a bit slower to me. And I, I do remember that. And I also remember being in absolute denial about it oh, wow. so i would have i would have probably at 25 26 you know i would have oh, because i was in one of those annoying parachurch jobs where i was telling church leaders what to do you know i would have absolutely run a seminar but you're not their friend it's not important you know it doesn't but absolutely on the inside if i'm honest i just wanted validation mm. from these from the younger generation because all of us naturally there's probably a whole research study on this we we love validation from the younger generation because it means we're not ourselves becoming old mm. it means we're not going out of out of touch and becoming irrelevant and so so that's what's at the heart of it i think that's what's at the heart of like trying to be the friend because we know that as you said david the um uh the role of youth worker is like a friend, but it definitely isn't a friend because there are, there are moments where you need to step out of the friend role and you need to act in that person's best interests in a way that a friend would be conflicted to. Um, so, um, yeah, gosh, this is just a self-analysis really, isn't no, it? I great. feel like I'm on the couch. I mean, I, I would actually push it further and, and say I wouldn't use the word friend at all in mm. terms of our relationship with young people. It doesn't matter what age you are. And, and I think I feel that more keenly now because... If I think about the young people that we're serving in Blackburn, their understanding of friendship is is one thing, and and 
If I think about the word friend, I, I, I love the idea of friend. Like it's, a, you know, Christ is our friend. It's a picture of um, unconditional love that doesn't demand anything. It's not a physical, it's not romantic love. So I, so I understand that. I get that. Um, I much prefer the idea of family. And I much prefer the, the younger volunteers and workers that I work with thinking of themselves in, in a familial term like you know, you have something to pass on. You have a wisdom to bring. You are, it's okay for there to be a separation. You are not their buddy. You're not, you don't need to listen to the same music. You're not, you know, your lives, that, that is not what makes you relevant. I think probably working in a context where I'm with young people whose lives are so completely different to my own and my own upbringing, I realize that the, the one thing that makes me relevant to them is that I care deeply for them and I bring, I, I introduce them to Jesus. That yeah. Those are the things. And I will advocate for them. I'll be their mentor, their coach. I'll support them. I'll come and watch them in the shows where they do performances. I'll do friend things, but I absolutely am not operating in that space. And I and so you've raised an interesting thing for me, Dave, because actually that's touched a nerve me and I'm not quite sure why. I wonder if it's because... Maybe I'm just thinking, actually, the moment we start saying friends, then we think that our relevance to young people is something to do with our innate skills. Mm. And I quite passionately believe that we can have good skills, interpersonal skills. Like none of us, you no know, youth workers are rubbish at talking to people. Like, you know, we, we love people, but actually our relevance has nothing to do with that. It's, it's to do with the kindness and the space that we create for young people. So I'm, I find the word friend a bit of a tricky one. I think that can be misunderstood, really. Well, that's a nice comment. I like that. Oh, I got, I got a well done. Yeah, pat on the back. You've never had that. Martin. You should date. No, I haven't had one. <laughs> He's my friend. Here's a question. Is he, is he your friend? <laughs> Here's a question we didn't actually write down, but I was thinking about as you were saying. We believe that young people have something to teach us as well as we have something to teach them. How do we correctly balance that and create spaces for that in amidst the, the power dynamics that I mentioned before and us leading these groups and trying to encourage and impart some of our wisdom how do you create well and can i say david although you haven't congratulated me on anything i've said today i think that's an excellent question <laughs> that you've just freestyled <laughs> right off the Has it top something? of your noggin there that's <laughs> impressive i feel like i'm learning from the younger generation right now it does feel at any point <laughs> that if i do say well done it's going to feel really beggy <laughs> well so yeah okay. I, was, I was going to try and skip past it into another point but okay, naturally ah, okay like, it's gonna be difficult now isn't it well, yeah, yeah now you've made it we'll really all be wondering <laughs> we'll all be wondering oh yes i think this is really interesting because um this this also just um speaks into a little bit the kind of we there was a fascination a few years ago i'm not sure if we're quite there now around younger leaders everything was younger leaders right it was all about raising up young leaders. And I and I think we all we've all had that, we've always had that as part of our a part of youth ministry, of course, is raising up the next generation. But I think I just said this in in answer to a different question. But you do there is a temptation in youth ministry to see every kid as a Timothy, right? To see every young person as a young leader. And so I'm doing the negative before we do the positive. And so I think it is really important that we we, we maintain a good perspective of what our role is in youth ministry. Our role is to introduce young people to Jesus and then get out of the way. That's our, that's our job, right? And so in the process of that happening and them meeting Jesus, they may have an incredible prophetic revelation for us, right? As a sort of like a ricochet of that transaction. But actually, 
primarily, initially, the first thing that we're doing is that we are we are beginning the discipleship process. And so by implication, that young person is being discipled. So there is a, I don't know if it's a power dynamic exactly, but there's a discipleship, there's a relational dynamic, which is really important. However, there are also lots of ways in which young people speak prophetically to us, which aren't necessarily prophetic, big P, as in prophetic about you know, meeting Jesus. Um, and so there's ways that young people speak prophetically to us about their culture, about the world. They have a clear thinking way of, of seeing the climate, for example, that we don't. They might see finances and money and the bankruptcy of our government. Uh, some people think that. Uh, caveat, caveat. Um, they might see the um, politics in a, you know, in a profoundly new and different way, which is prophetic. Um, so there are lots of ways that young people can teach us, but I think it's really important that we don't lean too hard into, basically, we're just on a journey together learning from each other. I'm not sure that's entirely true. Mm. And, and I suppose, I mean, I totally agree with that. And I suppose it, it's as crass as saying young people aren't the problem and neither mm. are they the solution. No. And, the, and the moment you do that, you sort of make them into these angelic sort of, it's quite patronizing actually, isn't it? To say somehow this group otherwise. So I, I think, I love what you said about revelation. I, I was listening to you and thinking, yeah, actually what, what Jesus reveals to me about himself and his kingdom as I watch how these young people grab hold of the gospel or the gospel mm. grabs hold mm. of them. Are they aware that they're revealing that sometimes? Mm. mostly not but there's if I'm willing to stop and listen and engage there will be something revealed to me about who God is through the way they see things so there's that kind of innate sense and and if you know if church is family then family all of us have a unique way of seeing things and responding to things and, and so we need each other so I think as someone who leads a church that is the beating heart is young people. So missionally, they're at the center. That yeah. doesn't mean they have more to teach us than no. the 87 year olds. No. Um, but there might be times where what they see of the emerging culture and how they process will be of more significance yes. to us. Yes. Than, because actually they're helping us think about how the gospel, Leslie Newbegin, the gospel is forward is each generation to a new address. So actually they, they'll help us think about that. So that's why the voice of young people is so important because their story matters. It has integrity. Also what they see, what they're helping us to think about differently, the questions they ask. But I'm with you, you know, just because young people want to paint the inside of the church black and design all the logos, suddenly you're going to have loads of young people in church. Nah, you know, not at all. Still get a good person to design the logos, still get an interior designer. You know, we've all done that with youth groups, yeah, haven't yeah. we? We're like, if you let young people design everything, then other young people will come. Well, young people are incredibly insular mm. and their, their close mates will come. So I think, yeah, it's really important that we don't put them on a pedestal as the answers. It's really, I don't know whether to say this or not. This might get cut. Let's see. Um, but one of the things I've found really interesting putting together conferences over the years um, is there's often a loud clamoring voice for, can you get the voice of young people on the stage? Can you? And I think there's something really good in that. Like inherently, that is a good intention mm -hmm. and a good idea. Usually when we've put young people on the stage, by def by what's the word by omission they have been the least well-reviewed thing we've done mm. so people want young people on the stage but then when they hear from young people they're like oh 
So then it becomes tokenistic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. becomes tokenistic to try and hear from young people as if you've got to tick the box of hearing the youth voice mm. in order to be relevant, in order to um, mm. you be, be giving a complete picture of the wisdom in the room. Um, I, don't, I don't know what I think about that. I just think it's interesting that people clamor hard that there's campaigning almost for mm. more young voices to be involved in all sorts of areas and spaces. But when you do actually do that, the response is usually quite muted. Mm. That is interesting, isn't it? Because I'm doing a bit of work with the recovery community at the moment. And one of the community groups is founded by um, people in recovery, the clientele or people in recovery. And I've been sort of spending some time with them and just sort of observing that, thinking what are the strengths and weaknesses of there being an organisation where it's entirely for one particular group and understand that. And, and the strengths of that is actually talk about the real stuff that people actually talk about. The weaknesses of it, it's hard to have forward momentum because actually the danger is that you can then be stuck in this one space and you need some other voices in there to help move it forward. So I guess it's what role is the voice of young people? And actually, if the youth workers and the volunteer workers coming to a conference about youth work are not spending most of their time with young people... That's on them. Actually, you know, we'll put one or two on the platform. Of course, that's amazing. But we'll do that to preach the gospel, not to talk yeah, about being a young yeah, person. Yeah. We'll get them to speak about intersection of science and faith and feminism, not to say this is what we think young people think. So, so I think, you know, that's, that's what we want to be sort of encouraging leaders. You're, you're listening on the ground all the time. That's, that's really important. This is a space for forward momentum where you're going to have some agitators. People have been thinking about this for a very, very long time. Mm. So they're probably not young because they've been thinking about this for a long time. So yeah, I agree with you. Oh, controversial stuff there, David. Got any time for two more questions. Two more? Yeah, yeah. I'm I've hoping to get a well done on one, one of these. I can take one if you want. Say well done for the last time. Oh no, I've ruined it. <laughs> this is a, you jump in too quick. Oh, you jump in no. too quick. I'm needy. I'm star, really needy. Star chart behind yeah. us. Could I? Could I? I've, I've maybe <laughs> saved the, the spiciest one for last. Oh, I know where that's um, going. Well, you wanted a cliffhanger, so I wanted. Should we just not answer it? <laughs> Join us next time. Um, the question was around group dynamics. How do you guys best support a group or best work with a group when one young person's needs? are far greater than the, the surrounding young people for whatever reason. So there could be emotional needs. It could be like, there could be neurodiverse. Mm. It could be um, additional needs. How do you guys handle some of that stuff? We want diverse young people in our group. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think always look around you and see, see who is doing this really well. Who are the parents and young people in the community that can teach you the best about this? Who are the organisations? We've got lovely Lynn McCann up in the north. So she's doing a bit of work with us at the moment, just coming and sitting in on things. Just arm yourself with as much support and input as possible because I think this is vital to get this right. And it's not a one easy solution. I think you want to journey. And I think what, what I'm feeling increasingly is you have to be committed, absolutely committed to developing a space where all young people can fl- flourish and thrive. And if that means laying down some of your ways that you'd like to do this group to actually facilitate more inclusion, um, then you've got to do that. Just because, you know, it used to work like this. If it doesn't work like this now for a couple of young people, how could this? Ha- how could you innovate differently in a way that still is 
all the activities that young people are engaging with, but you're making sure that young people are not, you know, having to be excluded because of disability or noise and lights and concepts. So I think we need to be really committed to this and and be prepared to do the hard work. And it might be that it starts because we suddenly notice, wait a minute, that young person, I'm not sure we're really engaging them. And if that's where it starts, great. But let that take you on this big journey of actually changing not just that one group but but how you do all of your youth ministry i think it's as big a challenge as that really i agree with that um i think if you can because you have enough volunteers um giving a specific role to a specific volunteer to look after a young person and get alongside a young person is really healthy as long as the pair of them don't then get sidelined yes. into a completely different room, you know, where they're not fully included and being part of things. So so that person's role is not just to support the young person being there. It's also to support their participation inclusion in the whole group dynamic, which is hard. So you, you actually might put one of your best volunteers mm. on that role. And actually, I think you'll find there are people in our churches who could get out of bed for that job when they wouldn't actually be very interested in staffing your tuck shop. They might be interested in supporting the inclusion of a, of a young person with additional needs. So find that amazing person, I think. And if you can, I know it's not easy. I know half of us can't even find a second volunteer um, right now. But if you can, um, I think that will reap huge dividends. Yeah, nice. I also like the idea of the the extra volunteer, not just helping the young person who's got greater needs to participate in the group, but also helping the group to include them, yes. like almost encouraging that yes. inclusion in both directions rather than just, just one. And a final question, what do you do if a young person fancies you? Oh, again, we're so old now, Martin. Wow. Has that been? Well, there's, there's two parts to this. There's one that's like right now, and I think it's like almost a fairly straightforward answer. Yeah. And there's also the one that what happens if you're 19? Mm. Yeah, just joined your interning somewhere, mm. and those kind of relationships become a little bit grayer with an eighteen-year-old. It, I, it is absolutely bound to happen without a doubt, without a shadow of, of a doubt. And I think this is where just us as leaders having safe people to talk to, accountability and mm-hmm. wisdom, because I, I think it can stir up all kinds of com- com- really conflicting emotions in us. Like I, either kind of the hypervigilance, like I can't, I can't be anywhere near this young person. I can't ever be near them or anything. And, and, and reading every single thing that they might do along that very narrow lens, um, or actually inadvertently feeding it or yeah. not being safe enough and robust enough. What I find is more likely to happen now is that actually, because I am mum or grandmum age for some young people is that some of the younger lads really want me to mum them. Mm. And that can feel like, oh, actually, well, that can feel quite complex as well because you just need, they'll, they'll come and stand, that's much taller than me and they'll have their arms around my shot, you know, they'll loll over me because I'm a mum figure, but actually yeah. I'm not I'm not their mum. That's not appropriate. And I don't want them bonding with me in that way. I want there to be a different kind of safe relationship. So I think it is, it absolutely will be taken as a red. I also feel, and this might sound a little bit controversial, I am very conscious of where we are in Blackburn. Quite a lot of the male role models in our estate are um, engaged quite violently in their attitudes towards women, what they say about women and how they treat women. The young guys who are volunteer leaders or on our team are gentle souls. That's mm. partly why we ask them to come with us. 
They don't lord it around. They're not macho. They're good men. And, and so actually, I do want the younger people in our youth group to look up to them and want to be like them, mm. want to be them, want to be with them, because that's part of the journey of maturation. Now, there's going to be a whole range of conflicting, confusing thoughts and feelings in that. So we need to be really clear on our boundaries and our safeguarding and our best practice. But I expect that that will be happening. So let's just operate accordingly and be super wise about that. And let's have a culture of calling out as a team. I noticed that when she was sat on the floor by the fridge, you were in there. I know you're making a cup of tea, but I think actually that probably isn't the best if you're yeah. in there on your own. Even making a cup of tea when that girl's sat there, let's make sure next time I come in there with you. And it's not saying to this young male worker, I have suspicions about you. It's mm. simply saying I'm acknowledging yeah. that the strength of young people's feelings is immense. That's the beauty of young people. Yeah. They, yeah. they feel things so strongly. So let's be really upfront and create that culture. And what, what enables what you've just said there is is a real honesty and openness which can feel really uncomfortable. It can. And I would I would urge you if you find yourself in this situation to be uncomfortably accountable. Mm. So I yes you can look a bit silly and you could look a bit full of yourself even by saying like mm. I think this young person seems to be attracted to me mm. but my goodness the if you are, if you bring people into that yes. and that gets documented early then you are creating the safest space for everybody. Absolutely. So as as much as it might feel a bit icky and weird yeah. and, oh my gosh, you know, saying those words out loud just feel really, you know, awful. It's it's honestly down the line. It's so helpful yeah. to have, have shared that with people, have got that documented yeah. and then have put in place some of the accountability yeah. structures you're talking about. Because if, if, if I know that you're having that challenge, then I can come in and, and and sit with you when you make a cup of tea. Yeah. But if I if I don't know, we're we're slightly doing it all in yeah. the dark. And I think this is where the intersection with this conversation and and my sort of feminist um, background and you know what girls wear and all that kind of stuff and the double standard with boys is really real. But we need to also be super real about the reality that sometimes we have you know younger workers who are only a few years older than some of the older young people and some of the fashion, some of the clothing, particularly as we're moving into the hotter months, you know, and what young people they're exploring their sexuality, they're exploring you know their body image and all that kind of stuff. And we don't want to body shame, but this is all happening. It's a reality. It's all there. So the answer isn't somehow girls have got to dress differently. No, that's not the answer. The answer is that we have this culture where the leaders are able to say, this wonderful group we're working with are going through this awesome God-created thing called puberty. Mm. It's puberty. That's really important. So actually, rather than saying that you know, the odd conversation is, oh dear, what's happening there? Actually, the normal conversation yeah. is, so how are we all doing with this stuff? So we're going to do some sports this week. How are we doing with that? How should we divvy up the teams? Yeah. Where are we feeling comfortable? Where are we not? And I am, a, as a much older female worker, find mm. it so I can easily walk into a space now and say, come on, Kaylee, come and meet. We're going to go over here. And I and and the young men know, I, they know why I'm doing that. But Kaylee's not being body shamed, and it's, but it's just me saying, actually, I want this place to be safe for everybody. Yeah. So let's... Let's do this well. So let's do this well. Let's not see it as a response to a problem. It's actually to keep everyone safe. Oh, I'm passionate about that. Well done. I feel so passionate about it. Do we do we dare flip the question and ask them more? 
the more really serious version of it. But yeah. I feel like we, I feel like we should. Ask, I think we should yes. just air this. Yes. So what happens in a scenario yes. where you, as the leader, yes. and let's let's make this a closer in age thing. So you're 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 not massively far in age from the young yeah. person that 17, 18, you're 21, 22. Mm-hmm. You find yourself attracted to them. What do you do in that scenario? Well, that was me. That absolutely was me. And I told nobody and I felt utter shame for a long time. Um, Before I was married, I don't know who I'd have talked to about it. And I think it probably wasn't just one guy. I think it was probably quite a few. Because the moment you have that trail of thought in your mind that feels illicit, oh my days, and you don't talk to anybody about it, that breeds, doesn't it? And and I think, I, I think it, in a, what would I say to my younger self? I think I'd say to my younger self, okay, you thought that thought. Okay, you think that. That's okay. That's all right. You have a choice now what to do and how you're going to act on that and not to shame yourself for thinking those thoughts or those feelings. That That isn't the lust. The lust is going back over that and thinking, I want that. I want to have that. And how can I get that? And, and this is not just men who are prone to this. Women are prone to this mm. too. And I think with all the stuff around pornography as well, or whether it's romantic porn, you know, I think males and females um, struggle with, you know, sexually explicit materials or quite romantically explicit materials. We can fantasize about someone that's not asked to fantasize about, whether they're a member of the church congregation or a younger, but you know, that, that, that ability to do that is a human default. Yeah, we can, we can do that. Our thoughts go there. We, and I think it's really important that we acknowledge it, own it, talk to somebody about it, get it into the light somehow, stop mm. it breeding, mm. and then say, okay, what practices am I going to put around this? Um, and that is a journey. I think my 19, 20-year-old self wasn't mature enough to do it, but it would have been lovely had somebody helped me mm. begin that, oh, it's possible to think something about somebody and then not keep entertaining it, or, or if I keep entertaining it, beginning to say, okay, let me break this apart what is this about what is it about this particular person that I want what yeah what is it is it that they can't be mine is that what mm, it is mm. so I think yeah but it's hard when you're younger because your brain's not yeah of course you're not fully formed to do that of course what and would you do well I, th- I think it's worth just saying if you're in a situation where it does go further mm. and those thoughts do probably become mm. repetitive and invasive yeah. I think that is when you need to get out of there. Yeah, uh-huh. great um, wisdom. Great I wisdom. think probably that is as hard, even if it is your job, um, the the risks of staying yeah, and well, keeping yourself in that situation don't bear thinking about. You yeah. are you're putting yourself and obviously another person in a really risky situation, um, and it and it doesn't mean that 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 doesn't mean that you are an unsafe person. But mm. a circumstance has happened there with an individual in a place where it just is not good. Mm. And if you find yourself in a place where you can't get your head into a good good spot, you can't bring it into the light, you can't be completely accountable, you can't move on, then I think you do need mm. to move on, which is a really a really heartbreaking thing to say, but the alternative is just doesn't bear thinking about. Mm. And and the age thing is is significant, like the under 80. And I, and I know that we're aware of that as leaders, but I think that and that we need to really recognize that, you know, minors. Yeah, but course. I think it can also happen across like the parent of a young person that you're like, oh my yeah. goodness, that parent. Like, oh, yeah, it can happen in 
all kinds of ways. So I think if we're really in tune to that, as you say, and just take responsibility, it's tough. It's tough though, Martin, isn't it? It's tough in churches to, to, to kind of preemptively say, I'm struggling sexually. Yeah. It's, re- it's really hard to say that, isn't it? It took to anybody to feel safe enough to do that. But, but actually in this day and age, if you're a human being, you're probably, there'll be some time in your life when you'll be struggling sexually with fancy, I love you said the word invasive, invasive thoughts. That's it, isn't it? It's thoughts that come to you like, I can't handle that. It's, you know, what do I do with that? And that's not just teenagers dealing with that. We're dealing with that too. So that's really good shout, you know, let's, um, yeah, I hope that's good. Bring some freedom to some people maybe listening that thought, think I'm the only person that's that's struggling with this. And there are great organizations like Naked Truth, Visible Ministries, those guys that can really help with that stuff. Just another thought on that as well. I wonder whether, I don't know about you, but I didn't practice confession growing up. That wasn't the tradition that I did loads of. And I wonder if in those moments when you've got a thought um, that you think you're quite, maybe quite ashamed of, if trying to find someone that you feel safe enough to confess mm. to at that point feels mm. like quite a big deal to find someone who you feel like is, I don't know, not going to judge you, not going to bring the world down, not bringing more shame, more judgment. Yeah. So trying to find those people earlier before and identifying those people could be yeah. really helpful. And also, I guess, the encouragement to us as maybe more older youth leaders or practitioners to, to help create those spaces for our teams and yeah. other, other youth workers we work with, right? Brilliant. Confession. Good. I mean, I realize we've talked about a lot of stuff there. We talked about stuff which might have been difficult for you to listen to, might have mm. brought stuff up as well. They might so, have disagreed with us. Uh, which is you know, fun. I think, yeah. you know, we, we are not the arbiters of all wisdom no. and knowledge on these no. things. We've tried to cover six or seven areas in, in less than an hour. Um, but um, so sorry if that's been difficult, any of that's been difficult for you to listen to. Um, and, uh, and, and now we have to somehow construct a, a cliffhanger ending. So the other day I went to a hotel and... What? When I was 11, my parents both helped at the church's um, holiday camp. So I spent a lot of time at the church while they were setting up and, you know, all of that sort of stuff, the planning. And uh, someone new had joined the church recently called Charles. And he was very interested in children's work. I think he had some previous stuff with that. And he wanted to help out with the holiday camp. So he got involved and uh, he was getting along with my parents really well. And um, he was just really kind uh, to me and my siblings. So um, our family's love, my family immediately became good friends of him. And then a couple of years later, he joined uh, the youth work at my church. And by that point, I was actually in the youth. So I was able to see him a, li- a bit more. And we grew close and he-, he was just a really good influence to look up to. And uh, I'm now 17, turning 18 soon. So I've known him for a long time now, or at least that's how I see it. And over these years, I've always gone to him when I need advice because I- I'm the eldest of four children. So I've never had an older brother that I can ask to sort of advice for. Um, that you ask a youth worker so he's just really helped me become the sort of person I am today I look up to him a lot he's always there to give me advice and I feel like I'm a better person now that people like him have helped shape me into the right sort of person with the right morals so it's people like these like youth workers like this that I'm grateful for that we have in our lives who can help you know us to look up to them and uh, give us any advice we need so that we make the right decisions rather than the wrong so thank you to Charles the perfect youth worker
other day, I went to a hotel and... What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was lame. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. Yes. Gen Z.